What is it about Christmas that makes us want to be home? It seems almost unnatural to be away from home at Christmas. And people will do all kinds of, uh, they'll go to great effort just to be home uh, for the holiday. And you, you may have had stories like that in your life where you maybe paid way too much for a plane ticket or you stood in line at an airport or Maybe you jumped in a car and drove a great distance, maybe even in a snowstorm or terrible weather, just to be home so that you could be home for Christmas. And, and Christmas is unique like that. It's really, really the only holiday where you really want to be home. The other holidays, you, you don't want to be home. New Year's Eve, you want to be at a party. You know, you want to be out. Fourth uh, of July, Memorial Day, Labor Day, you want to be anywhere but home, not home. You want to go to the lake. Go to the beach. you got to get out of town. Um, Easter, you want to be in Florida. Because that's like, we need some, some sunshine about that time uh, at the end of the winter here. Um, so, but it's interesting. But Christmas, you want to be home. And it's ironic because on the first Christmas, nobody's home. You've got Mary and Joseph traveling 80 miles to fulfill their civic duty to register in the census to get from Nazareth uh, to Bethlehem, 80 miles. Uh, you have the shepherds. They were not home. Uh, they were you know, working the night shift. Uh, you had the wise men. They traveled great distance on, on that first uh, coming of Jesus. And in a profound sense, and in a very real sense, Jesus was not home on that first Christmas. That Jesus left his heavenly home with the Father and takes on human flesh. He comes down to be where we are. He goes away from his home to come to us. So the holiday that brings us home shows all of these characters in the story away from home. Home is a powerful notion. Home is where we are safe. Home is where we belong. Home is where we fit in. And in that sense, some of you may not feel at home anywhere. Maybe you feel that there's just not that place that I fit or that I belong or even as I talk about home, it was um, something that was not safe, not warm and welcoming. In Jesus Christ, and as we put our faith in Jesus, we are given a new citizenship and a new home. And I want to talk about that today. I'm going to focus on this notion of this new home that we have in Jesus Christ and uh, before we jump into that, I want to pray for us because I believe that God wants to do good work uh, in and, and through this and in, in our hearts. So let's pray together. Father, for everyone sitting here, you know what we've come from. You know everything about us better than we even know ourselves. And I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would come and teach us that whatever you want to do in us during this time, that we would respond well, that we would be obedient to what you're showing us, that we would know that it is you. So this time is yours, and we pray all in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I want to do uh, two things this morning. One is I want to introduce this sermon series, what we're preaching through and why we're preaching it. I'll give probably a longer introduction just, uh, just so you kind of get where we're going with this. And then I want to make two observations from uh, from this text about this notion of home and the new home in Christ. So first of all, this new sermon series, this is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is the season we celebrate every year where we celebrate the coming of Jesus into the world, his first coming into the world, his first Advent. 
And it's, it's a routine, and it's important that Jesus came to this world in the flesh. And if, if you were here for our sermon series, when we were looking at John's letters, I just, we just concluded that series a couple weeks ago. Very important that Jesus came to accomplish what he accomplished, that he took on human flesh. And that's very important, but not only do we understand Jesus' first coming, his first advent, but we also understand that Jesus is coming back, that there is a second coming of Jesus, a second advent, we sometimes call it, and it's also very important. If you read your Bible, you'll notice that the Bible actually talks a lot more about Jesus' second advent than it talks about his birth and his first coming into the world. There's, it actually, it's a, it's a pervasive teaching in the Bible, and people ask me, you know, hey, we should... You should teach more on the second coming of Jesus. And I say, you know what, you're right, because this is a, a very important teaching for us. So we're going to be focusing on that uh, during this season. And it's not just some weird add-on to our faith, the fact that Jesus is coming back. And it may feel weird to you or sort of a strange teaching that we're focusing. You know, Christmas is easy. It's something that happened. Uh, it, we, it's historical. We, we celebrate. We remember. So that's easy. But when we think about future things that haven't happened yet, uh, it, it, can, it can feel almost, I use the word, creepy because it's a predicted future. But because it's all over the Bible, and Jesus taught it very clearly in his teaching, uh, we are going to focus this whole sermon series on the second coming of Jesus. And uh, so, Pastor Brian and I, it was over a year ago we decided to, to preach this. And so we, we had the conversation, well, when is the right time of the year, or when's the right season to focus on the second coming of Jesus? Because I wasn't aware there was any time more appropriate than others. The season we celebrate Christmas, the season we celebrate Easter, but when do you celebrate the second Advent? And I, and I said, you know, I thought it was pretty clever. I said, hey, let's preach the second Advent during Advent, and we'll connect uh, the, the coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And I thought it was pretty creative. So we started to research this. Turns out, the tradition of, of the church for many years is that you preach second Advent during Advent. And what I thought was creative was really a, a thousand-year-old uh, tradition of the church. So uh, we're not being creative, we're being very traditional as we do this together. So here's our sermon series. We're calling it Everyday Advent because we're considering, again, the events of Jesus' coming and the events of his second coming, what he has done, what he will do, and how we live in light of those things. And Advent, particularly because of the second Advent, is the reality of our everyday lives. Every day we live in this anticipation of Christ's return. So the life that we live is a life of everyday Advent. It is our reality, and it, it actually will shape us if we understand it rightly. Uh, so, so we're going to focus on Jesus' second coming. This is all very straightforward, except that um, there are aspects of Jesus' return that Christians who take the Bible very seriously and who, who, who believe the Bible, that they actually, that we don't all agree on the exact same of every little detail of Jesus' second coming. And I want to... Um, First, focus on what is absolutely clear, rock-solid uh, about Jesus' return. The first thing is that Jesus will return. Uh, he said he would. He, uh, the, the scripture teaches that Christ will return. Now, when will that happen? And how will we know? We, we might address that a little bit later in the series. 
but Christ will return. Secondly, that the dead will be raised, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, that all who are living and then those who have died will all be raised to life. And again, what will that look like? What will that be like? We're going to hit that in one of these sermons. I gave that one to Pastor Brian because it's really tricky. Um, uh, so Christ will return, the dead will be raised, there will be a final judgment. And Pastor Brian talked about that last week, that Jesus came his first time quietly. Uh, he came in humility and he came to bring his grace. But he will return in glory to sit on his throne to judge all the nations. And, and um, the, the righteous will be judged to eternal life, the wicked uh, to eternal punishment. And we talked about that last week. So Christians agree on these things. Christ will return, the resurrection, the judgment, and we agree, but now there's things that Christians, again, who take the Bible seriously, don't totally agree on. You know, um, what is the timing of everything? You know, what is, what is the rapture? Is there going to be a rapture? And um, what, what is this great tribulation and these things? Is there a specific thousand-year period of time where certain things happen? And we do hope to address some of those questions as we go through those. We're not avoiding any of those questions and hoping to actually intentionally engage those questions. But we want to really focus on the things that are most clear in the Bible and, and not spend as much time on the things that are less clear. And I know some of you are saying, no, we want to hear more about dragons and we want to hear more about raptures and we want to hear more about these things. So we'll try to, to get some of that for you sick people who, who are obsessed with that. No, but it's good to understand these things in Scripture that may not make sense to us and that we may not fully agree on. But um, anyway, so that, that's our intent with this and that's what we're going to do. So now we come to today's texts. And considering uh, Jesus' first coming and his second coming, this passage from Luke's Gospel, here we have Joseph. His citizenship plays a very key role in the arrival of Jesus. Again, if, if Joseph wasn't a descendant of David and had to go to Bethlehem to register in the census, we wouldn't have had pregnant Mary on the road. They would have just been in Nazareth doing their Nazarethan things that they would have been doing, but they're on the road, and, and we wouldn't have them looking for a place to stay. You wouldn't have Jesus being born in a barn and being placed in a feeding trough. We wouldn't have the, the nativity scenes, and it wouldn't have unfolded the way it was. And actually, according to Scripture, the, the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, who was to come, had to be born in Bethlehem. That was predicted that way. And it was, so it was, in, and was a descendant of the line of David, both, both Mary and Joseph, actually. The Bible goes out of its way to very clearly show how uh, Jesus was a descendant. He was from the line of David. Again, that was another promise fulfilled. So it was important that they were there. Their citizenship was important. For us, as people of faith, as those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, our citizenship is important at the second coming. That in Jesus, we are citizens of heaven, and there are certain rights and responsibilities that we have as citizens of heaven. So take a look at uh, this passage here. The first aspect of this citizenship is that our citizenship in heaven creates eager anticipation. Verse 20, we eagerly await a Savior from heaven. We, people who put their faith in Jesus, the, the, those who follow Jesus, are citizens of heaven, which means this world is not our true home. Human beings are unique in all of creation that God created us 
in His image. He breathed His, His breath of life into us that we are created in His image, which means we are like Him in a sense, that we can relate to God, that we can experience God, that we have an eternal spirit, that God has set eternity in our hearts, His Word says. And we can, uh, so we are made to be eternal and we have an eternal spirit and this, we are made then for an eternal home. And not just a place. It's not that we belong in a certain place, but as creatures created in the image of God, we are created to be with God. So it's not just the place, but it's the people. And to be with God's people, to be a family. That is our home in heaven. And Jesus, again, Jesus, God created that. And that was his intent. But because of sin, because we've rebelled against God, every one of us, Adam and Eve in the garden, and everyone since then has inherited this sinful condition where we have broken that perfect relationship, that we've lost that perfect home. But Jesus comes to bring us back into that home. He came to give his life that we can be forgiven and restored to God's family. And Jesus said that he was going to come back to ultimately bring us to this home. In, in John chapter 14, Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, and if I do that, I'm going to come back and take you to be where I am. He's, it's going to be known in all of its fullness, and he's going to come back and take us to live in that eternal home. Heaven is our home. Now, there's two extremes we could take with this. We can sort of ignore it, or we could sort of obsess over it. Some people just ignore the fact that heaven is our home. They say, well, that, that will be nice when I die. That'll be nice in the future. But, you know, my day-to-day -day life is very important. And I need Jesus in my life because Jesus helps me be better. He helps me be a better father. He helps me be a better worker. He helps me to be a better neighbor. You know, I need Jesus because this is, you know, I'm not focused on those faraway things. I'll get there someday. But I kind of ignore it. But the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he teaches if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be most pitied. If we just ignore the fact that we are on a totally different trajectory, that we have a totally different home that we are destined for, we can miss out on so much of what God has for us because that hope drives us. Now on the other end of the spectrum, and so for those who are, would be prone to ignore it, on the other end of the spectrum is an obsession with heaven that some people say, look, it's all about heaven and hell and I just want to go to heaven. I want to make sure I'm going there and then I'm just going to kind of hunker down until I get there. And maybe I'll grab some other people and they can come with me to that place. But that's what it's all about. And if we do that, we miss out on the fact that we can experience God now, his healing in our lives now, that we can work and create and love and serve and speak truth. We can be part of God's kingdom as it's unfolding now and when we know it in its fullness in the future. We, we live in this, uh, so we don't want to be people who ignore the future or obsess about the future, but people who live in that tension that God has begun his good work and he will bring it to completion. So we try to avoid those errors. And in our everyday, this is very hopeful for us because we know that the world that we live in is not how it will be forever with all the struggles and all the brokenness that we face. This season, and particularly as we head towards Christmas, this might be a season of struggle and hardship for you. Maybe you are away from your family. Maybe when I talk about home, it's, it's, it's a bad memory. It's, it's not a safe and loving memory. 
Maybe this is the first Christmas after a loved one has died. Maybe this is the first Christmas after a divorce or, or a relationship that has become broken. Maybe this is a Christmas where you are struggling financially. Whatever hardship and struggles, uh, we, in light of the future, we can look at them today, these struggles, and know that there is a future glory. There is a future goodness. Imagine people going through all that stuff with no hope for the future, who don't have any belief in uh, the afterlife, any belief in heaven, that there's going to be God's justice and his judgment is coming to make all things right. And I've heard people say, you know, I don't want, I don't want to believe in a God of judgment. I don't want anything to do with that. I say, yes, you do, actually. Because if there's no God who judges what is good and what is evil, then, then a lot of the wrongs in the world will, will, will never be made right. That, that God wants to make all things right, ultimate justice. Now we can, do, uh, we can have mercy and justice in small ways, but ultimate mercy, ultimate justice, where all is made right, where true healing is absolutely known, that is our future. And, and we have that creates in us an eager expectation for it to happen, for it to be, to, to see it in our everyday and also to see it in the future. But ultimately, and this might be kind of obvious, but um, the other thing is that we don't have to fear death, that we're created to live eternally with God in that special home that he has made for us. And, and I, I talk to people around when they've lost loved ones and when they've died and they have no sense of, of this permanent eternal home and they, they really freak out. But we don't, we don't have to be people who face those things and fear them. And that's good because as we teach, you know, the, the death rate is hovering right around 100%. And we have to deal with that reality, but we don't have to face it in fear. So this citizenship in heaven gives us this eager anticipation to face these things. The second thing. That our, citizen in, our citizenship in heaven means that we get new bodies. Jesus Christ, in verse 21 in the passage here, Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That our broken and lowly bodies will be like Jesus' resurrected body. And if you read in the Bible about Jesus' resurrected body, it was spectacular. It was very different than his body before his resurrection. And scripture teaches that our body is going to be like his glorious body. Jesus, in his resurrected body, was able to pass through walls and doors that were closed. Um, he was able to move in ways that are not possible for us. But he wasn't just a ghost. And Jesus went out of his way. He told his disciples, I am not a ghost. A ghost doesn't have flesh and blood. I clearly have flesh and blood. <clears throat> Jesus, even in his resurrected body, would eat. And imagine being in a perfected body and eating. Not eating because you need the nourishment or eating because you're hungry. It's just eating for the joy of eating. It, think about it. If there's a really, really good food, you don't want to eat it on an empty stomach because you eat too fast. You won't enjoy it, you want it, but you don't want to eat it on a full stomach because then you, you don't have that same desire to eat it. And when we are in our glorified bodies, we, there will be food and eating, but we will eat just for the joy, just for the flavor, just for the magnificence of eating. That's eating. 
get that kind of a body. But meanwhile, you may say, Pastor, you know, I'd love to be able to walk through walls. I'd love to be able to eat without getting fat. That's all wonderful. That is the most irrelevant thing in my life right now. This means nothing to me in my current reality because that's not the body I have. So you're right. In, in many ways, uh, we are in bodies. We are stuck here now the way it is. And the Bible addresses that. Romans chapter 8 says, I'm just going to read this to you. Romans 8, 22 and following says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. We groan and we struggle, and we struggle physically. And I know this, every single small group I've ever been a part of, when I'm gathered with other people and we take time to pray, the number one thing people ask prayer for is for physical ailments that they themselves are suffering or that loved ones are suffering. But we pray that way because we know that this is all in God's hands. That our bodies and our current physical state, our future physical state, our glorified bodies, this is all God's work. It's all in God's hands. So we trust Him with it. And I think of people who struggle in this groaning that we feel awaiting our new bodies. I think of my dad. My dad is very ill and he's in a lot of pain every day. And we do have hope that, there, that some procedures that he's about to have will be helpful, will help um, relieve his pain, but he's very limited in his life. In the course of one week, I've spoken to people uh, who have cancer, Parkinson's disease, ALS, terrible diseases, all a result of the sin and brokenness of the world. People have lost loved ones. People have died. Their body could not go on. But we have a context for this. We have an understanding. And people get sick or they become ill and they just get very angry with God. But we can face this and we can groan and we can suffer these things, but at the same time know that God will make it right. For it is the hope that we have. But today and in our everyday, we just live in that tension of the groaning, but the promise of the new body. It's not just groaning, it's not just suffering, but God has good purpose. So I ask you, what about your body today? What is it? Maybe you are, maybe you are ill or you are suffering in some way or maybe you just maybe it's not an ailment maybe you feel ugly or there's something embarrassing about your body that you don't like or maybe there's something that someone else can do that you can't do with your body and that is causing you uh, trouble this is everyday advent the way that the, the way that the sin and the brokenness impacts your physical body and your desires is different than the way it impacts mine. But we live in the already but not yet, the great promise of that new body. But So then does it matter? Does you know the way that I struggle, the way that I live with my body today, does it matter if I'm just kind of waiting for this future glorious thing? Uh, yes, it matters very much. Because you'll notice in our text, it's not that your old body gets trashed and you get the new one. It's that your old body is transformed to be like Jesus' glorious body. 
It's, it's the body that you have now that he wants to transform. And he died to make it happen. So we honor God with our body. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, you honor God with your body. Jesus bought your body. He bought it on the cross. It cost him his body. It cost him his life. The Holy Spirit lives in your body. So what you do with it now, even though it's broken and it, and it is weak, is important. Later in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says we, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, We make it our goal to please the Lord, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, meaning in our earthly body or in our glorified body, we make it our, our goal to please God because we're responsible to God for all things. So every, the everyday decisions you make regarding your body, where you will go, what you will eat, what you will drink or what you will smoke or what you will uh, allow your eyes to see, this is a, you do it in a body that God has made, that he made. You're not a mistake. As broken as we feel, as much as we struggle, you're not a mistake. And God redeemed that body. The Holy Spirit lives in that body. And God will make it new and perfect, transform it someday. That is, whatever your struggle, that is the hope that we have. Praise God. So we have an eager anticipation of our heavenly home, and we have a new body, which also gives us great hope. And just in conclusion, I just want to say, I know that it's hard to hold different ideas in tension like this. It's hard to think about, okay, Jesus came, but Jesus is coming again. There was a once and a future. There is an already happening God's kingdom and a not yet aspect of God's kingdom. But in the good news of Jesus, we can hold these things in tension. We can live in this age of where there is evil and brokenness, and know that we are still citizens of heaven in the midst of it. We are a colony of God's people living in a foreign place. And we do eagerly await a Savior from there. Jesus. He has the power. He will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. This is the future and the hope in which we live today.